Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I am your other host, Caitlin, and welcome back to us talking about resistance. I'm Yay. very excited. Charlotte had to had to take a week off. We had to, but it's really because Charlotte was in Hawaii, and uh, we're all jealous. <laughs> but you know, Godspeed to Charlotte being in Hawaii. Maybe we have listeners in Hawaii. If you're from Hawaii, you live in a beautiful place. But <laughs> it was great, and I'm sorry that I, we had to take a week off. I felt this sort of extreme guilt for missing an episode not of not just of um resistance but also this podcast so i'm really happy to be back and you know cranking through the podcast life <laughs> i'm glad i'm glad you went to hawaii i know how much you love hawaii i do um, i love hawaii so much <laughs> <laughs> so what's funny is so Charlotte lived in London for a couple of years when we were in high school and her family traveled pretty extensively throughout Europe and a couple of places in Africa too. So Charlotte's been to a lot more places than I have just because you were right there. You know, it was easy to get to those places. But what's always funny is that the one place I had been that Charlotte had never been for so many years was Hawaii. And this is like this really sore subject <laughs> between us. I wouldn't say store subject. It was it's just kind of funny. Us. It wasn't it's between, not between us. us. It was, but the, I just the, really wanted to go to Hawaii. <laughs> and it was always like, and whenever I'd be at dinner with Charlotte and her parents, Charlotte would always bring it up. She'd be like, oh, remember how Caitlin's been to Hawaii? Caitlin, tell my parents how great Hawaii is. Isn't it so great? When are we going to Hawaii? Caitlin's family's been to Hawaii. Why haven't we been to Hawaii? <laughs> For like six okay, years. It, this and makes then they me sound like such a brat. This makes me sound like <laughs> such a brat. My par- Okay, the other thing I have to say, my parents have also been to Hawaii a few times. So it was like this moment of like, I feel like all my friends have been to Hawaii and I haven't. I can't believe we haven't gotten as a family. It's such a great mm-hmm. family destination. I was very convincing and just really wanted to go. Um, you were very and- convincing. It only took you like six years. <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> now my family loves to go like basically every mm-hmm. year. So I was right. We needed to go. <laughs> and like everyone loves it. And that's like what your family does too. Like you guys don't do like big birthdays or Christmases and stuff like that. You guys do traveling. Like that's what you guys yeah. do together. And yeah. I just thought it was so funny because every time – and what what's even funnier about that whole situation is that my family had a really bad experience on this certain part of Hawaii <laughs> And I remember I told your parents about it and you were like, why would you tell them that? <laughs> and that was one of our like favorite experiences that we've ever done in Hawaii. Yeah. If you guys have ever been to Maui, the road to Hana is like basically an all day trip that you take down like part of um, Maui. Ugh. And it's like a straight road that goes down this like beautiful scenery. It's amazing. If Caitlin, if you did it as an adult, you'd love it. If you I did know, it as a child, you probably didn't wouldn't love it. It's like it's, it was, we it's such a beautiful place and it's like the highway one in California. It's it's amazing. And I know that we're talking about Hawaii a lot on the Star Wars podcast, but it's really <laughs> hilarious because Caitlin had such a bad experience because she was like, How old were you? Like eight? I was okay, no. I was twelve <laughs> when my family went on the road to Hana and uh, the road to Hana. See, Charlotte painted in, in this like really beautiful light, but let me give you my memory of the road to Hana. <laughs> the road to Hana is a six-hour trip to nowhere. <laughs> okay, it's not nowhere. Up a mountain and then back down. It's not nowhere. It's not nowhere. And- I am I am defending the state of Hawaii. It is 
the, maybe the most beautiful drive in all and of the country. I'm sure. I think you're right. I think I would enjoy it a lot more. But also when I went, I was with my parents and my older sister. We were in this convertible and we – the year – it was like 2005, I think, or something like that. And we had this um, CD that told you where to stop. Like back then it was this CD that came with a car that told you at the certain places to stop along the road to Hana, like certain vistas and things like that. And – Listeners, if you know my father, John Plusher, you know that he can't say no to a good vista. And uh, he stopped at every single vista <laughs> and took video of it, of like every landscape on his like 1999 camcorder, <laughs> like, everything, and made this like what's supposed to be a six hour trip, like a nine hour trip for us. Anyway. I don't have great memories of the road to Hana, but then Charlotte's family went and it was like the fa- their favorite thing that they did. And, you know, the ironies just don't stop, listeners. <laughs> I I love Hawaii and I love the road to Hana. And I think your story is hilarious. <laughs> and I honestly feel like we had such a great experience because we didn't do what your family did. And maybe yeah. we we're just like learning from that because <laughs> it's like maybe. a legendary story. Right. What's also funny is in Hawaii, we went on this dinner cruise too and our dinner cruise boat broke down. <laughs> And we were stranded out in the middle of the ocean for like an extra four hours. Oh my God, Kaylin, you need to go back to Hawaii without your parents. I know, right? I really do. My parents are not great travelers. I'm going to be honest. They don't listen to this show, so they'll never hear that. Anyway, anyway, that's a little bit about Hawaii. If you've been on the road to Hana, please let us know how your trip went. I guarantee it was probably better than mine. Um, but let's talk about resistance because it's been a hot second since we talked about a resistance and a lot has happened. Um, so this is actually going to be a double whammy episode where we're going to talk about the last two episodes that came out. So the first one was The Platform Classic, which was written by Kevin Burke and Chris Wyatt. And it was directed by Stuart Lee. It came out on November 25th. And then the second one is Secrets and Holograms, which was written by Stephanie Folsom and directed by Saul Ruiz, which came out this last Sunday on December 2nd. Yes. So why don't we share our highs and lows in part one? And then in part two, we're going to talk about the story. And then in part three, we're going to talk about the characters. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first. All right, welcome to part one, highs and lows. And we kind of combined our highs and lows for the two episodes, but we have a bonus high. So it's really like three highs, one low. So it kind of <laughs> shakes out evenly across the yes, two episodes. Exactly. Anyway, Charlotte, uh, you go first. My first high was I loved the theme of uneasy forgiveness between um, Yeager and his brother that takes center place in the platform classic. I thought the theme was amazing. I really loved that episode. I thought it went to emotional places I wasn't expecting. And um, I think I understand Yeager a little bit more now, which I think is what you want after an episode like that. Mm -hmm. Totally agree, especially because so much of Yeager has been like very shrouded you know, it's like, you know, something happened to him, but, you know, we had no idea up until this point, really. And mm-hmm. we're still just getting like bits and pieces here and there. But I agree. Um, I really like the dynamic between Jaeger and Marcus was his brother, right? Yes. And my first high was actually Tora and Captain Doza's relationship in the second episode, Secrets and Holograms. 
I love their dynamic. I love what's happening between the two of them. And I love the plot twist of the Imperial uniform for Doza. Totally. I know. Did not even think that was a possibility. And it it totally surprised me. And I'm obsessed with it. And for the implications of it down the road. Yeah, we have to talk about that in our story section. I'm mm-hmm. really intrigued by that. But I th- I think that you bring up a good high, the Tora and Captain Doza relationship. I think it's super clear that Tora like idolizes her father, but um kind of likes to get away with as much trouble as she possibly can, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool and it was kind of a relatable dynamic, I think. It's something that we see a lot, you know, it's like the protective father and the daughter who just wants to get out and have fun. Mm-hmm. Something that I think be. there's a little bit something more there, though. Oh, yeah, than but that's like the core that. of like the foundation of totally. it. Totally. Um, okay, so my second high was also Tora and Captain Doza. I thought that they basically are maybe the most intriguing characters t- to me in the whole of Resistance at this point. Um, mm-hmm. I felt like that at the end of the last episode. I need to know more. I don't really know who I trust um, between them <laughs> and. I find that really fascinating because I was fully prepared to 100% trust Tora, and I'm not sure if I do, honestly. Hmm. You know who I know I don't trust? Oh, Nico. It's Nico. Nico. It's Nico. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get a lot of Nico in these episodes, but, you know, still don't trust him. <laughs> um, well, my second high was the lounge in the second lounge for the ace pilots that we see in Secrets and Holograms. Um, the architectural details <laughs> of the lounge were really nice that I definitely picked up on. Um, the backsplash behind the decorative backsplash behind the bar is like really intricate. And me, I'm I'm like finishing up finals right now. So I'm very much in the thick of like architectural <laughs> architecture. So I'm like, oh, is that like a pressed tin? Is it a pressed metal? Maybe it's carved terracotta or something similar to that. I I would probably say a pressed metal, honestly, if I had to guess about the decorative backsplash <laughs> behind the bar in uh, Resistance. But I really like those details and I like that they included them. And I wanted to ask you, we talked about this on a couple episodes ago, but have you started no- noticing the plants in Yes. office they yes, were in the I bar have. too oh i didn't yeah. notice that uh. <laughs> i'm sorry the thing that is really funny about the second lounge is how many lounges do they have i feel like there's a lounge af- around every door now right when when Kaz is like oh wow a second lounge i'm like yeah what I, I the last know. lounge was like perfectly good and honestly kind of similar looking why do we need essentially the identical lounge like what's oh, the difference between the two really why? I, did, I didn't think they were identical at all the other one had white chairs didn't it and this one was like much okay. more like art, art deco like darker colors the decorative backsplash to me, to me it's like they both serve the same purpose like there's a huge window that overlooks the outside <laughs> there's drinks okay, flowing one window like, does not an identical thing? lounge make <laughs> I just think it's hilarious. There's a lounge around every single corner. Yeah, I hope that that's like a running gag, that there's just like nicer and nicer lounges the further up (laughs) into the tower you go. And Kaz is just like, how many lounges are there? Oh my god, I need that to be (laughs) Or if at one point, you know, there's this running gag of like all these lounges and Tora's like, yeah, meet me in the the Ace Pilots Lounge. But Kaz just like continually goes to the wrong one. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, but also the intriguing about this lounge, you brought up the window situation. What I loved about the last lounge was this like kind of power dynamic about the fact that the Ace Pilot, the Doza's Tower Lounge, looked down into Aunt Z's mm-hmm. bar. Mm-hmm. And it was this really good visual of like social hierarchy. So I do actually wonder where the window for this lounge is because I think that this lounge is nicer. I wonder if it has more of like, you know, a view of the ocean. Mm, the symbolism. The sim- Who knows? The symbolism. <laughs> Anyway. Let's unpack that. <laughs> let's, let's unpack when we, that. we we already did. When it's we fine. find out more, yeah, yeah, it's yeah all right. Exactly. It's once, all right. once we find out where this lounge is and if there's another one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my third bonus high for this podcast episode, I have like around um, like three <laughs> bonus highs really that all are kind of <laughs> strung together. Number one is Buggles. I really liked Buggles. I know that I might be in the minority right now, but I thought Buggles was really cute. Loved the hard eyes. Two, I'm very happy with the return of Niku's water bottle in the Platform Classic. Um, It's only a couple shots, like three shots, (laughs) and then it disappears completely. It's gone. (laughs) Yeah, that's the question. What do you do with it? (laughs) And then the third one I have is... This is the most direct The Right Stuff connection that we've gotten. Um, I mentioned The Right Stuff in the last episode because it's this great movie that a lot of Resistance was inspired by. And in that movie, a big thing... So The Right Stuff, I mentioned before, is a movie that traces the beginnings of the space program. And um, Yeager's character, not the Yeager in Resistance, but the Yeager in The Right Stuff, his great achievement is breaking the sound barrier. Um, The first one to break the sound Mm -hmm. barrier. And oh. a big part in the platform platform classic is them going past the I forget what they called it, but it's it's essentially the sound barrier where they lose all connection and communication. Same thing mm-hmm. happens in the right stuff, and it's no like it, it it's no accident that Yeager is the first one to do that in um, Resistance as well. Oh, interesting! Which is really cool. I like that connection. Yeah, yeah. You gotta watch cool. the right stuff, Caitlin. No, no. Talk to me next week. Okay. Okay. Great. When I'm done with finals and moving, good lord. Um, <laughs> so my bonus high was actually um, a Buggles line as well. I really liked Buggles too, surprisingly. But I loved good. when he. Um, and I'm usually not one for more crass or potty humor, but when Buggles had the accident, which purple, okay, <laughs> and the droid was like <laughs> so done. <laughs> it was like, oh, Buggles, why? <laughs> Which I just thought was hilarious. And, uh, of course, Kaz was giving me a lot of laughs in these episodes, too. One, I loved how we got to see him outside of his jacket. Like, he was just in kind of his, like, under armor, I guess. Um, I really like how they they switch up the costumes because um, we don't really get a lot of that in animation. Like, they're usually very much in their same costume. So I like that we can see Kaz without his jacket on as well. Um, and I loved Kaz and Niku when they're watching what you were just talking about them enter the sound barrier and Niku is like freaking out. And Kaz is like, oh, they're just gliding. And Niku's like, yeah, if they miss the... <laughs> <laughs> Niku's like, gliding? He's like, they're free falling. <laughs> they're going to die. <laughs> I'm very stressed. <laughs> And then, of course, when Kaz and Tor are in the um, – oh, my gosh. This should have been my other high, though. The tra- I like how it's not a trash compactor. They upped it a level to a trash incinerator. Yes. <laughs> and Tor's like, it's just like the game. And Kaz literally goes, this is out of control. <laughs> <laughs> 
and it's just like running around. <laughs> and Tori's just like gracefully hopping back and forth, and Kaz is like limbs flailing everywhere. <laughs> I loved that sequence, too. I surprised myself in liking that because I usually don't like any sort of basically anything that goes a little bit too video gamey, but I thought it worked here. Um, and it was really fun. And I liked what you say about how they like upped it and went the, to the trash incinerator. So funny. Yeah. So great. Yeah. Yeah. Because usually usually I don't like when they are doing like very similar parallels to, to like our saga films like that mm-hmm. are so obvious. So when they started running around and Tora was like, oh, I know a secret way out. I was like, I swear I swear to the maker, if she throws them down a trash chute, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this. And then they actually get in there, and it's a trash incinerator. (laughs) And at that, it's really not even that efficient, (laughs) if you think about it, because it's just like single laser points. That just doesn't seem like a good (laughs) use of energy. You know, no wonder the the Colossus is on a fuel shortage. They've got a trash incinerator that's not really good at incinerating. That's so true. I have to say the animation in that sequence, the design was beautiful. It was so fluid, so perfectly lit. I Mm -hmm. need to go back and rewatch it because I was really blown away by that. I don't know if anyone else had the same feeling, but I loved it. It was maybe the, you know, there's something struck me about that scene in the realization that in so few times in Resistance, we've had like a darkly, dimly lit scene. Um, Mm -hmm. It hasn't really happened yet. And I think that, I mean, I think that there's some exceptions, but like a full sequence in like a dark situation, um, it was beautiful. And I can't wait to see what they do in that sort of like light setting going further. Yeah, it worked really well. Um, But what was your low throughout these episodes? Okay, well, I I really liked the Yeager and Marcus dynamic. I thought there was a lot there. And like I said, I really liked the forgiveness, the partial forgiveness, basically, that happens at the end. Um, but I have to say, I'm still a little unclear about basically what happened. And it felt a little like expository, the way that Marcus was essentially like shouting what happened to his family, um, to Yeager's family at him. And I don't know if that was necessarily the best place to reveal what happened to his family. I don't know. What about you? Yeah. Milo was in the same storyline. I thought it was interesting. I think you're right. They definitely could have done something different as far as like how it comes out about what happened between Marcus and Jaeger, which you're right. It's not 100% clear. You can kind of speculate um, pretty definitively, I think, but – I guess it would otherwise it would have just been them talking to each other and so when you have kind of up the ante in this race I guess I think that worked well. I do think that it wrapped up a little too quickly at the end given mm-hmm. the serious nature. Like I mean it says it in the episode they haven't talked for like 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, one race later at the end of the race and Yeager seems really ready to start forgiving Marcus, which I think the theme is great. But it did seem to wrap up a little quickly, um, given given their history and given just how long it's been that the two of them haven't talked. And, and given what happened between Marcus Yeager and, and Yeager's family, that's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, the implication is that Marcus's mistake cost the lives of Yeager's wife and child. I mean, that's a huge deal for mm-hmm. um, to, a 22-minute episode. Yeah, to kind of gloss over and understand we're dealing with like a younger, a geared younger television show um, than perhaps we're used to with Star Wars animation. And um, they have to move past these like pretty 
grim um, parts, but I don't know. I think I could have used like maybe two more minutes of discussion about that. And of course, I know that they'll, that that will come back around and that'll continue to haunt Yeager as a character. But um, I think this was like a good opportunity to explore that more. And I don't know if it was done in the most, um, I don't know, fluid in the right way. way. Yeah, fluid is a good word. Yeah, it's almost like they needed another. I feel like this probably should have had its own arc, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Given, one, that it's the first time that we're really delving into Yeager's backstory, and two, just how serious their relationship is and how heavily it was rocked. So mm-hmm. probably could have probably could have used another episode, maybe even two. Mm-hmm. I agree with that completely. Okay, let's talk story. I'm ready to dive into the story. All right, so welcome to part two. Um, This is where we're going to talk about the story. So, Caitlin, what's the state of the First Order and what's the state of Kaz's spy mission at this point? The First Order is setting up camp on the Colossus and playing everyone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, The talk of these pirate raids is just so, like as an audience having that knowledge, knowing that the First Order is dealing with the pirates themselves and causing this problem that they know they're the only ones who can that can solve it is just so sinister. <laughs> For sure. I think there's something interesting there that I just thought of that you brought up. So back to Sonara, who wasn't in this episode at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting if she does have ties to the pirates and the First Order does eliminate the threat of the pirates by maybe killing them all. Will she have some sort of remorse about leaving that and some sort of guilt? I don't know. Um, I just thought of that. I don't know if I want to follow that through to conclusion, but um, Mm. that could be something interesting that comes up later with her character and whatever the First Order does when they deal with the pirates, as they say, which we all which we know they are like the puppet masters behind. So um, interested to see where that goes. In a similar vein, I think more than that, what does Sonara know about the First Order's involvement with the pirates? Right. I think that that's a good point. I think that's probably more likely, honestly, because if presumably she's still in talks with her Pirates of the Caribbean pirate lord, and <laughs> he looks like the guy the from Pirates guy. of the Caribbean, the Kraken yeah. guy. Um, <laughs> and if he contacts her again to be like, yeah, the First Order is planning this thing for the Colossus, or like the First Order told us to come to the Colossus, or she, anyway, what she knows or finds out about the First Order's involvement with the pirates and whether or not she ends up telling Tam if their friendship Mm -hmm. is continuing, which I assume it does, um, even if it's not a main focus of the show, and then what and if Tora slash Kaz find out too. Interesting. First Order brings up, because Joza, when Joza's like, well, how long are you going to be here? And the First Order's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's just like you, can just, you just know that unless Kaz slash the resistance, depending on our timelines, of course, where they start overlapping, um, the First Order has no plans to leave the Colossus. No. Yeah. Not at all. Okay, so no. what's the state of Kaz's mission? I was really proud of Kaz in Secrets and Holograms. I thought he was super <laughs> proactive. I was like, yes. Look at him sneaking out of Tora's room to go sneak into Doze's room. Know. I felt I the like, same way. I was so proud. Parent. Yeah. 
<laughs> I was really proud. I love that whole sequence too when he was sneaking out of the room um, when BB-8 gets caught by Taurus droid and he like rolls out of the room, <laughs> like mm-hmm. somersaults out of the room and BB-8 has to distract the droid. <laughs> um, I thought that was really good. But yeah, I was really impressed with Kaz in this episode. I really like how he saw the opportunity and then went for it. And Mm -hmm. he had a good idea about how to get the information he needed to. And he was also willing to, like, stay in that kind of dangerous situation um, when he heard that someone was coming and, like, figured out a way to stay hidden. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're getting close to Kaz discovering a lot of information about his mission and um, needing to talk to the Resistance as a whole and then putting into place the resistance perhaps coming to the Colossus. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know how that's going to shake out or if like, I don't know. I think that there's going to be, um, Kaz is going to have to talk to the resistance at some point in an upcoming episode about his findings, which I feel like are, we're getting really close to whatever he's Um, going to discover. Yeah. Some big reveals. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, okay, so let's kind of dive in the themes of the episodes because they're very different. Um, mm-hmm. And I, f- I can feel us like sticking more with secrets and holograms. Yeah. Um, <laughs> talk about these things, but let's kind of bring it back to the platform classic. So, what was kind of the theme of the platform classic? I think this one's pretty clear. Um, I think the theme was reconciliation and forgiveness, which is, you know, we talk about it all the time on this show. It's at the heart of Star Wars, and it felt really right to have mm-hmm. these two brothers kind of reconcile. And not completely, um, which I think is an important lesson. It's that mm-hmm. I don't have the quote directly in front of me. Eager forgives, but he's not over it. And he, I don't think he'll ever be over it. But the point is, is that you have to forg- forgive someone. Um, not you don't have to, but it's it's a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think for Kaz, there was an interesting arc for him in this episode of him learning to be humble. I think that he assumed so much about um, Marcus and bringing him there. And apparently he had all this intel going into the episode, which I thought was kind of interesting, um, that the episode starts off with Kaz being like, I know something you don't know, you know. And um, by the end of the episode, he realizes that he didn't know so much and he he learned some something about family dynamics um at the end of the day and he helped Yeager through a situation i think as well mhm yeah i think the theme of forgiveness was really interesting and that's kind of why i wish we had spent more time with marcus on the colossus mm-hmm. and kind of that interaction with Yeager because i mean honestly you all know what i'm going to say here i'm totally getting okay. kylo feels here <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, it's it's because, so hard not to. Because we talk a lot – a lot of the rhetoric when we're talking about Kylo is that he killed his father. That's unforgivable. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a lot of the conversation around Kylo. And I think that's a good conversation to be having. Like how do you come back from that? Can you come back from that? But then here in Resistance, we're seeing something – a very similar situation where family has severely wronged family and mm-hmm. taken the lives of – his brothers of his of his sister-in-law and his niece um Mm -hmm. which is just as serious as what's happened with kylo too so i think i wish we had kind of been able to explore how that forgiveness really works with yeager and marcus and hopefully it comes back up again in the future and it's still a conversation that they're having because i like the point that you brought up charlotte that you know it's not that yeager 
yes, you and I both think that they should have spent more time on it and it wrapped up a bit too quickly at the end, but it's not like Yeager was ready to completely forgive and forget. It's still a process and forgiveness is a process. It's not going to happen all at once. And Yeager's mm-hmm. taking the first step towards that. And what I like here too is this is something that you and I say a lot about Star Wars and about Kylo's redemption in particular is that for you and I, it's not about whether or not the galaxy forgives Kylo. That's a whole other conversation to be had. What I want to know is how his family feels um, and how those like close relationships that he has, how those shake out. Um, and I think the same is true with Yeager and Marcus. Like I, I don't want to see a situation. I don't really care to see. I'm not interested in seeing Marcus have to go through the like judicial process of causing that accident <laughs> accident by cheating in the race. I want to see him talk it out and yell it out with Marcus or with Yeager and come to grips with their relationship. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I think that there was, again, I don't have it in front of me, but there's a, a line in the episode that was really good when Yeager says something about like, he says, um, things are better than before. You know, I'm paraphrasing in the worst way, but basically that they that he took the right step, but it's not a full marathon. He's not at the finish line yet. He took a couple mm-hmm. steps, um, yeah. which I think was really great to show that it's a constant process, forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that it can be done. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I, to your point, I feel like we're going to continue with this relationship. I think we have to because I feel like it's been such a crucial part of understanding Yeager. I mean, um, Kaz, when he first like gets inside of Yeager's um, shed or study, that's the the thing that intrigues him the most, that photo of his family. So it's clearly a huge point of his character that we'll definitely come back to again and perhaps in this way with Marcus mm-hmm. at the center as well. Yeah, exactly. And so then moving into secrets and holograms, I think the theme here was this tenuous line between trust and distrust between mm-hmm. kind of a lot of parties. So Kaz and Tora, <laughs> Tora and Doza, Doza and Kaz, and then the First Order and Doza. There's a lot mm-hmm. of like shifting allegiances. Nothing is really um, – it's very tenuous. All of these relationships right now are very tenuous. Yeah, I ended the episode with not knowing how I felt about anybody, but knowing I was intrigued with every storyline. Yeah. Um, I said that at the top of the show, but I was like, I, I feel like that was the point of the episode is that I don't know who's good or bad. I I mean, I feel like at this point, Kaz is, you know, as good as they come, but I <laughs> I feel like it, I don't think he has anything really to hide except for maybe his family. Who knows? Um, but yeah. I I definitely felt like these characters have a lot to may- maybe hide. I don't know. He has some, like Doza has some serious skeletons in his closet. Um, and I, that really surprised me and has like potential implications for the plot going forward. Yeah. The, the Doza un- Imperial uniform was such a plot twist, but I really like how one, this is a lot of what we talked about too a couple episodes ago was this dynamic between Tora, Doza, and Kaz and all of these things kind of coming to a head and Do- Tora being kind of aware of what her father's doing, but I don't think the true extent of what it mm-hmm. is. And so I wonder if she the, – the big question is now is if she knows that her father was in the was an Imperial officer and kind of how and when Doza was involved with the Imperials how he got out. Does Jaeger know? Because Jaeger's with the rebellion. I know. Like, it's it's really interesting. So I thought I'm confused because I thought I read that Doza's 
wife or former wife, I don't really know where she went or if she's gone or um, basically Tora's mother was a rebellion pilot in the past. So like, what's the situation with that? Did they meet after? Who knows? Um, but um, let's talk about that if that's okay. Can we move on to talking about Captain Doza? Yeah, let's. Okay. So I would like to speculate a little bit about this. I think StarWars.com released a video talking about how and basically confirming that Captain Doza was an officer in the Empire before um, before the, it fell, right? I think they said specifically, like, Return of the Jedi era. Yeah. They yeah. And okay. They did. They did. I think they did. And um, which is really interesting that they went ahead and said that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, so, like, why does he still have it? And why is it the only thing in the closet? If there's, like, one more thing, maybe why is it basically taking the forefront in the closet? Why does he still have it out? What's up with that? Do you have any theories? Because I have a theory. I'm glad you have a theory because I don't have a theory quite yet. I think that, one, it's obviously a secret closet because it's only when Kaz is literally freaking he, like, out that out. he hits the button and is like, well, that's where I'm hiding. And clearly when the one, we got to see that um, cute shifty boy again. Um, what's his name? <laughs> Ruckland. 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 Don't trust anyone named Ruckland. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> also, hilarious scene when they're at the bar, the one with the nice backsplash. <laughs> and Ruckland is like, you did this to me. I have to take a second job. Like, don't think I'm not coming for you. And then someone's like, where's my bantha milk? And Ruckland's like, coming. <laughs> <laughs> after he's like yelling at Kaz in this really serious voice as Kaz is shoving his face with like chips and guac um it's really funny anyway um when Ruckland tries to get into the closet and Doze is like uh no get out very interesting mm-hmm. but I don't have a theory so I want to hear your theory okay so if you haven't read Bloodline Bloodline is this amazing book by Claudia Gray that details post Return of the Jedi basically it it deals with the empire not the empire the new republic finding out that leia's father is darth vader and leia has a friend who is of an opposing party his name is ransom and he is an empire collector aficionado and he has distaste for the empire because I believe his family was killed in the construction of the Death Star, and he hates it, but he's fascinated by the order and the regime, which I think is an interesting kind of parallel to a lot that's happening present day, but basically brought up this whole thing about like collectors of imperial artifacts and um, uniforms and helmets and everything imperial. I'm not saying that he's a collector or anything, but I do wonder why he keeps it. And the only place that my brain went was potentially this like group of collectors that is brought up in Bloodline, which is around the same era. Um, mm. I don't. I, I, this is like a crack theory, and I don't know why he would have it, but it would be really cool to see that intersection of that coming up again because these artifact collectors is something that has actually come up in even The Force Awakens. I believe it's mentioned in the Aftermath trilogy that I have not actually read. And um, even uh, Kylo Ren is an artifact collector, right? So I, I think that maybe there's something there, but I could be completely wrong. But I don't know why he ha- why he keeps the Imperial uniform in such a prominent place. It's weird. It's it's if fishy. It's, I mean, it's his. But right? why We're is it in his closet? Like, 
it is his, but why is it in his closet so like prominent? Like, what if he entertains these these guests of um, potentially this uh, the society that collects them to like view this old uniform? I don't know. I don't know, but I think it's. I don't know why he keeps it right there. Yeah, that's, why didn't he just throw it away? Why does <laughs> so he put it in the trash incinerator? <laughs> He's got a. Doze has got a perfectly good trash incinerator, <laughs> you know, seven you know, stories below him. Does. <laughs> perfectly, you know, not most, not super efficient, but functioning trash incinerator. <laughs> <laughs> Why doesn't he just incinerate the darn thing? Well, I wonder if the First Order, no, I'm sure they know that Doza was in the Empire, and I wonder if there's some story. It doesn't sound like they're blackmailing him with that or even leveraging that as like kind of like mm-hmm. an allyship thing because if that was the case they wouldn't need to be using the pirates. The question I have is do you think Doza was in the first order or in the empire legitimately or was maybe was maybe he a spy or doing something else or did he leave the empire if he left the empire? One so many questions. <laughs> wow, it would be really interesting if he wasn't a spy for the Empire, but I don't know if they'd go there. That's Yeah, deep. I don't know if they would either. But it's like if he was only in the Empire in Return of the Jedi time frame, what was he doing prior to that? Why did he join at that time? The Empire's already lost one Death Star. He's like, yeah, <laughs> seems like the best time to suit up. Um, and did he leave the Empire? And if he left the Empire because he has some sort of moral compass, which we've discussed that we think Joseph does have, what was the thing that made him leave? And why does he still have the uniform? The real question is why does he still yeah. have the uniform? Because I feel like Star Wars has done a pretty good job of explaining that often people are kind of thrust into the Empire because it's the reigning system, it's the governor governance of the area, it is the basically sometimes the only path to wealth or, you know, success. Mm-hmm. And I think that we've seen that in a lot of books and a lot of comics and it's just yeah. like... Yeah, especially... You can't necessarily judge an individual for... I don't know. It's it's a it's a weird thing. Well, especially um, in Lost Stars with Cyanna. Exactly. That's what, She's kind that's of the what best I'm thinking parallel. about. Yeah, and I feel like, I don't know, why does he still have it? That's the number one question. And why is it so prominently in his closet on these, like, special hangers? Um, I don't know. It's weird. To be fair, we haven't really seen a lot of hangers in Star Wars, so maybe they're just, like, regular hangers. I know, I know. I, I was talking to someone on Twitter about this before. About where normal, Yeah, normal hangers, like, <laughs> okay. maybe don't fit all all people Um in all persons in Star Wars because not everybody has like the same situation of like head um, and neck and you know neck hole so that's why the hangers look like that so I thought that that yeah I think that that was kind of a smart design Um, but I do think that I don't know it looks like it was featured prominently in the closet could be animation I don't know yeah I'm like it's it's curious not curious it's interesting because I I think I just had this assumption that Doze has been on the Colossus for a really long time. Okay, well, what if the Colossus – he has been on the Colossus for a really long time, and the Colossus was an empire, an imperial outpost. It totally could have been. That I, makes sense uh, to me. I'm – okay. All right. Now I've got my theory. <laughs> yeah. 
So the Colossus <laughs> was an imperial outpost. And if we take it back to the last Jedi novelization, that whole excerpt that we've read like 17 times on these Resistance episodes about like, do we know exactly where this planet is? Um, I think it's, um, I think we do. I think we've learned before where was exactly it, where it, it is. Is it kind of on the outer rim though? Like in those lost and legendary essentially, planets? Essentially. Okay. Definitely so not wonder, the lost and legendary. Well, not a lost and legendary <laughs> but, planet. But you know, the Last Jedi novelization talks about Snoke kind of setting up these being in this region. It sounds like kind of collecting information. So we've talked a lot about there being something important to the to the to the ugh, so many parties to the First Order on the Colossus. And so, if the Colossus was an Imperial outpost at some point, then there's. I think a good reason to consider that there's some kind of information that Snoke is after because Snoke is in a is an empire expert, right? Mm-hmm. And so maybe he's maybe we're still collecting information, and the last some holdout is here on the Colossus. And the question now is: Does Doza know what it is, and is he protecting it, or does he have no idea? Or is he the holdout? Who knows? Ooh, maybe he's got information because if I, all right, this is my theory now that Doza was on the Empire on the Colossus and everyone else like jumped ship when the Empire folded and Doza was basically left with the Colossus and he just stayed there and made it what it is today. I think that's really likely, (laughs) but we'll see. We'll Mm -hmm. see. I just think it's kind of shifty. Um, oh, oh, yeah, and totally. definitely has like serious plot implications. I am more and more thinking that Doza is the spy at this point. I don't. Oh, really? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, that was dubious, right? Like, it's dubious, it's weird. but I don't think he's the spy. If he was the spy, okay, the I don't first- think he's. I don't think he's the spy. I think that he has conflicting allegiances. Oh yeah, we've definitely talked about that. I mean. Mm-hmm. He's in a in between a rock and a hard place because he's very stressed about the pirates. I think that's what these episodes have shown that Doza in both episodes actually Doza is very stressed about the pirates mm-hmm. and for is sure. willing to do anything, including set up camp for the First Order on the Colossus. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I'm glad I you know I didn't have I didn't have a Doza theory coming into this episode, but now I got one. So thanks. Often we have to talk these things out for the mm-hmm. theories to come up. I mean, my bad theory about Ransom and, like, this group of collectors, like, I just had that. <laughs> I just came came up with that. And you can tell. You guys can tell, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's kind what's, of loose. What's funny is that we both <laughs> came up with these theories, like, off the cuff, and yours is, like, very strange. <laughs> it's, it's very off the wall. <laughs> and mine's a little bit more... Um, has actual chance of coming <laughs> to fruition. To be honest, on in this in that vein, though, I would really love to see that group of collectors somehow oh, yeah. make an appearance on the on the Colossus Definitely. or in the show somehow. I it's so intriguing to me. Um, well, especially we we've had these kind of collecting collections come up a couple times now. Both mm-hmm. well, I, one, I think your connection is really good because I love a good I love a good artifact collection. Um, mm-hmm. So now in Solo and in Bloodline and possibly now in Resistance, we've had and and throughout the sequel trilogy, this idea of like collecting artifacts from these like almost mythic times, um, even though they're not really that mythic. Um, anyway, I would I would really like to see that. 
So I hope your theory does come true in some vein. It's a huge part in Battlefront 2 as well. And I think characters like Afra as well kind of reinforce this. And we've Mm -hmm. talked about this before. But um, I would love to see that come up in Resistance just on its own, even if it's not with Doza. Mm -hmm. And and Thrawn, of course. Of course. Can't Uh, forget the blue guy. Can't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can't forget Thrawn. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I hope we see that. I I hope both of our theories come true. (laughs) okay so let's talk about characters yes listen big deal you got another problem women always figure out the truth always all right welcome to part three where we're talking about characters and while Kaz was not the main character of either of these episodes he definitely had a lot going on so how do we think we've already talked a little bit about him as a spy but what do we think about his relationships with Jaeger and Tora throughout these episodes? Um, I think we continue to see how <laughs> there's a couple of instances, I think, with I forget which episode it is because I did watch them in tandem, but Jaeger kind of throwing Kaz off. Oh, it was a, it was in the episode with Marcus as like, here's a mechanic. And Jaeger and Kaz basically have this relationship where Jaeger kind of thinks of Kaz as definitely the worst mechanic and definitely someone he has to deal with. But I think by the end of that episode, there's a sort of camaraderie and an understanding there that brings that relationship a little bit further. Kaz's relationship with Tora, though, on the other hand, is really confusing to me. Like, really confusing. I don't know what to think. I feel like we're put into the situation to want to ship them and to want to have them to have scenes together. But I feel like she's really young. But then Kaz had that comment in the second episode that was like, there's not that many people on on the platform that are our age. Yeah. Did you catch that? Yeah, no, I totally <laughs> ca- caught that. And <laughs> I hate being that person who's like, if there's like a, a guy and a girl in a room together, I want to ship them. <laughs> but sometimes I'm but that person. But they had a lot going on. But yeah, me too. I'm that it's like they, yeah, they have that competitive spark going on. They work together. Like, it makes sense. I just don't know what to do about that. I know. The thing is, it's like, the thing is I want, because I love Kaz so much, I just want him to, like, be endlessly happy with someone. And so this is, like, the Poe situation where, like, I kind of ship Poe with anyone he's on screen with because he just, like, always has good chemistry with people (laughs) and anything. Exactly. Um, And Kaz is kind of the same way where I, like, just want Kaz to, like, be happy. So, like, when he's in scenes with Tam, I'm like, yes. (laughs) When he's in scenes with Tor, I'm like, Yes. (laughs) And when, and then, but then we got literally like, Sam, Tam, and Sonara. I'm like, yes, <laughs> like this. He just like I want people to be happy, and I love a good love story as well. You know, I know who I am, listeners. This is who I am. But I will say at this juncture, if I had to pick between like Tam and Tora, if there wasn't the question of age, I think I would lean more towards Tora, honestly, because I like there. The thing with Tam and Kaz is that Tam is definitely the authority figure between the two. Like, if they were in a relationship, like, Tam wears the pants in the family, Mm -hmm. and she, like, lets you know it. The thing is, I think that's the same case with Tora and Kaz, is that Tora would also wear the pants in the relationship between them, but she's, like, more – 
she's definitely she's younger she's younger and so like she has more fun with Kaz than I think Tam does right now um but she you know at the end of the episode she's like I'll help you get out but you have to tell me what you're doing and she totally knows what's going on and isn't gonna and like she lets Kaz leave like it's very ominous at the end of the episode when she's like all right you can go now Kaz or like you should leave Kaz and you know that she's She's the wheels are a turning in her head and she's going to figure this out and call him out on it. That's what kind of shook me throughout the entire episode after mm-hmm. that ended. Um, that whole sequence where one Kaz is put in the situation where she has he has to lie to her. And it was such a bad lie, like literally terrible. It's so bad that clearly Tor is on to something but won't call him out for the lie. And now their relationship is has this big fat lie in the middle of it that like potentially Kaz was not really hanging out with her as a, like as a friend, but as like to get closer to finding out his information for the resistance, which I think is in some ways valid because that's why he's on the Colossus to begin with, but must not feel good if Tora was ever to find that out because she was so desperate for like a friendship and doing stuff and um Kaz like allowed her this opportunity to leave and hang out with somebody and play this game that she only plays by herself um with someone right mm-hmm. and I think I think that at the end of the episode I felt uneasy because I didn't like that there was this lie at the center of the two of them um, and I don't think that necessarily has to be romantic or whatever, but yeah. um, it makes me think that bad times are ahead for potentially Tora finding out anything about Kaz. See, I I totally get what you're saying. I don't think I felt that uneasy about the lie between them because Tora already – like Tora knows he's lying to her. Because, well, that's she, what I mean. She straight I, up I, asked, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I just I feel like we're not going to get like this buddy buddy episode again between them because I feel like that's impossible after Kaz straight up lied to her face. See, I think we will because I think whether or not they end up as like any kind of romantic ship again, depending on how old all these characters actually are, um, or even if we even get any romantic ships in Resistance, um, because I don't think. I'm still in the camp that Tora doesn't know what's happening with Doza. And I think she's like Doza's gonna be the bigger problem for her than Kaz as far as like mm. these lies that are coming out. And I think that she's gonna have to like Kaz is gonna be the one to help her in that situation. Because I trust Tora's moral compass. And I think once she finds out – because she clearly is no fan of the First Order. And so she's kind of already against her dad in that vein. And so I think when she finds out that – I bet she's already figured it out, though, that if Kaz is a spy, which she knows he is, she knows he is a spy, then if he's spying on Doza, it must be because he's kind of spying on the First Order as well, which means he's anti-First Order and she's anti-First Order as well. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I guess the, I guess the bigger takeaway I had from that, I don't think I'd really considered it from the like implications on their relationship, which I think you're right. It probably could be a bigger problem down the line. But I think I, what I took away from it was that I liked that Tora had just like figured it all out really quickly. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yeah. queen. She was like, oh, are you a spy? And he's like, uh, no. 
<laughs> like, oh, literally, what are you doing here then? <laughs> and I just appreciated that, like, Tora was smart enough to figure it out. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the next couple episodes, Tam Tam figures it out as well. And then, because like, Tam is going to be the bigger problem, because once she finds out that Jaeger knows about it too, like, I think I think Tam's going to be the bigger conflict in the spy revelation than Tora is, I guess is what Agreed. I'm saying. Agreed. Agreed, because... Tam deals with Kaz every single day. Yeah. It's like a partnership in in like work essentially. Um and Tam has had to deal with Kaz like failing at literally everything when it comes to being a mechanic. <laughs> it's like always on her. Um so I I think you're so right. I don't know. I I don't really know what to think about Kaz Kaz's relationship with Tora especially as a friend. I do think there's something interesting there about how Tora has this connection with the aces as one of the aces and the aces in this episode are really pissed off to know what's going on. And they're like getting restless about the fact that they haven't been able to race or anything and they're demanding answers. Mm -hmm. I think there's Tora's in like a rock between a rock and a hard place because um, she can't give them an honest answer and yet she is like the mouthpiece for captain doza and so like where are her own allegiances at this point because mm -hmm. she must feel like she has nowhere to turn and i wonder how that's going to shake out in the future because right now without the first order like the aces are essentially like for lack of a better term like the army for the colossus so if the aces think that torah is Okay, so say down the line, the aces find out that the first order is there, and it's because of Captain Doza. And Tora knew about it and didn't tell. And then, like, races are canceled. There's no more races. Um, and the first order has taken over the Colossus. And, like, potentially there's a fight for the Colossus, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I foresee a future where Tora doesn't really know who to side with because I feel like the aces will be mad at her and Captain Doza. Um, it her because they're mad at Captain Joseph for allowing the First Order to come onto the Colossus. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. Again, all of the dynamics and relationships between these characters are so com like so surprisingly complex <laughs> on this totally. Um, because, I mean, what you were saying too is like Tora is in this really difficult position where she's a part of the Aces because she has a lot of skill and is really good at it. But I wonder if there's ever that question of like, oh, well, she became an Ace because her dad's the captain. Um, but at the same time, like when they're mad at Doza, they're telling Tora about it. Um, and that mm -hmm. means that Tora is not – like is Tora – um, like as buddy buddy with the rest of the aces as they are together like she's not hanging out in the lounge with them she's with no she's bored by it yeah she, um, she doesn't like it but like what like I guess I guess also it's like what are all the aces relationships with each other bringing up another low that we've had throughout the series so far is that we haven't really spent a lot of time with the other aces um, aside mm -hmm. from the one episode we got with hype so far I can't even tell you the others names um Anyway, Freda is the only one okay. that I remember. Well, I'm glad you know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I agree with you completely. I yeah. feel like I mean, this was the first. This is the first episode since like episode two that Fre Freya Freda mm -hmm. even yeah, said anything. Like <laughs> um, yeah, agreed. I mean, I, this is really the first episode that we really got to understand Tora. I mean, it's yeah. easy to forget that because there really is so much packed into these episodes where I feel like, like you mentioned, like the relationships are so complex, surprisingly for, I think this is our 10th episode, maybe our ninth. Mm -hmm. um, 
I really feel like there's so much like meat there to discuss about all these different relationships. Like even you talking about like how we don't know that much about the aces, like I'm still interested in hype in Tam's backstory. Like there's a lot there as well. Mm -hmm. And if there is, like I mentioned, which is kind of my thought going for forward because I don't really know what the end game for the first order and the aces and the colossus like as these entities um is like I feel like there's going to be a battle at some point and I wonder what those allegiances are going to look like when you have all these you know amazingly complex relationships in place like Tam wanting to be an ace and hype being an ace and what 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 is that what are the relationships and what are those relationships even look like if there is a major battle and like they they need to support each other will they be able to overcome these um gripes and uncomfortableness between all these different relationships i don't know and i feel like it's it's great that these are being brought up it's like a really good breath a breath of fresh air for all these different types of star wars stories Mm-hmm. being told in this one location. Yeah. It's really surprising me, guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the great thing about the Colossus that we've talked a lot about is that not only is, you know, we're getting to see a lot of these places, like, again, decorative backsplash, loving it, and Tor's bedroom is an amazing set. Um, yes. But they're in these enclosed places, and so these lines are being crossed in these relationships all the time. And you're just adding layer upon layer to them and they have like nowhere else to go. Um, you and mm-hmm. I have speculated that eventually they'll we're going to get episodes off of the Colossus. But right now, because like even on Lothal and Rebels, that was – we're on one planet in season one. But that's a whole planet. And like our, our Rebels and Empire and like the capital of Lothal are very separate from each other. Whereas here, everyone is literally on top of each other in these different mm-hmm. like levels of the Colossus, which makes for really good TV. Um, but I think that – you mentioned something about like this battle that is kind of eminent, I think. And I think you're absolutely right, um, this battle for the Colossus. And I totally think that – I think – I mean, as far as, like, Tor and Doza are concerned, I think Doza is definitely going to side with the First Order, not because he likes the First Order necessarily, but because he thinks it's the only thing he can do. And he's going to try and keep Tora out of it, and Tora is definitely going to escape and fight, <laughs> like, against her father, essentially, because I think that's the kind of person she is um, because she knows that it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And then I think I think I think Doza will probably like, you know, in the you know last minute he'll side with Tora, of course, because he knows that she's right and that's his daughter, and he shouldn't let he shouldn't mm-hmm. have ever let the first order on. And who knows, maybe that'll be like a great sacrificial moment, you know, Star Wars is tragedy. <laughs> Mark it on your Sky Talkers bingo, <laughs> um, or maybe he just like, you know, helps get the first order off in the end. Right. Um, another thought that I had in terms of Kaz's character <clears throat> is I I foresee Kaz, you know, he's trying really hard to be the best spy he possibly can. I kind of foresee Kaz being put in the situation where he finds out potentially the wrong information about the spy, reports it back to the resistance, and then mm. for Poe's character, this is what this is I've been thinking a lot about Poe recently. For Poe's character, he kind of jumps to conclusions and this is like really going straight like for like maybe like season three, essentially. Mm. But um like it kind of sets off this chain of events that 
Poe rushes into something, um, orders, you know, an arrest or like a takedown of whoever they think is the spy. And it turns out to not be the spy. And it's like another one of these like ticks of mistakes of like Poe having this hothead um, and like rushing into it. And I don't know. I kind of I foresee some sort of failure there. Um, or like a misunderstanding that doesn't necessarily look so good on the resistance's part because in terms of the trajectory of the resistance, I feel like at this point, Poe is still, Poe and the resistance are still like kind of infantile and um, they are going to make mistakes. And I just like, I hope that it doesn't have anything to do with Kaz at this point. Do you know what I mean? What do you think? I like don't want Kaz to be wrong. Because he'll just be really sad I know. about it. <laughs> I, I know, but like, can't you see it kind of happening? Yeah, like, I think that's yeah where those like storylines merge, especially again depending on when our timelines start overlapping and how much we mm-hmm. get of Poe after the events of the Force Awakens. Be really interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm actually really intrigued by yeah. that. Like, if we'll see Poe. Like, what if Poe ends up on the Colossus after he, like, manages to, like, get off Jakku? Like, what if Poe strolls into the scene and is like, man, I met this <laughs> stormtrooper and I almost got blown up. Somehow I got off Jakku. And then I'll be like, Jaeger, weren't you in the Battle of Jakku? I just left Jakku. <laughs> oh, my God. That's my favorite theory. Right? Well, that be amazing? I don't know if that's true, though, because I f- – oh, no, it's not going to happen. Wait, because why? they covered that in the comics. No, no. Damn it. No. Like, in the most recent, like, run of the Poe Dameron comics that, like, kind of takes place after The Last Jedi, oh. Poe recounts his story about, like, what happened in those t- that time between yes. – um, Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. But maybe, maybe it could come up. Oh, Who knows? Bummer. You never know. <sighs> Yeah. Dang it. I still think it would be so funny. Be really Any funny. sort of like mention like that I think would be great. And I think that we will get that because it, at some point they like want to clue in the kids who are watching this show that like where this basically takes place in the timeline of the movies, which are yeah. like utmost important importance, right? Yeah, so yeah. I think that we will get some sort of connection there that will be like quite obvious. What if Poe winds up on the Colossus and is like asking Kaz, he's like, oh, before I go, you got to remind me, I got to get like some needle and thread. I got a jacket that needs fixing. Yeah, I'm not much of a sewer, but. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be happy with that call out too. <laughs> yeah, I would be too. That would be great. Oh man. I still I just I do think that in terms of I just have been surprised with like the amount of Poe that we're got we're getting and I'm not like counting it as a cameo now. I actually like fully think he's a character of the show. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that we will get a a Poe failure, essentially. Um, that is like another, you know tick against him basically in order for him to have that arc in the last jedi that's so important for his character yeah yeah i kind of i kind of wonder if it's the opposite though actually because he's such a hothead that it's kind of mm. like oh i can't fail like i'm invincible all oh, these other, that's interesting all these like i'm so like all these other plans have gone great like without a hitch remember yeah. what i did with that kid kaz and the colossus like i can do anything like you don't get to tell me what to do and then, because I think, I think we're going to have to push back on that theory because I think that The Last Jedi has to be that kind of ultimate failure of the Resistance being so pared down throughout the film that that has to be like that moment for Poe. Um, 
whereas everything kind of leading up to that has been successful. Whether or not there are like minor failures and stuff like that, I'm sure there will be, especially in regards to Kaz. But I think like the big missions that Poe's involved in, um, the like really like kind of season finale things, I think he'll at least he'll be successful at that. I don't know about everyone else, but I think he will be because I think the last Jedi failure has to be the really big failure for him. I think that's really interesting. I would agree with that. I just think my brain is all about conflict. Yeah. And like what who's gonna have the most conflict and like what does it mean for their character? I think you're actually right though. Um, but I guess we'll see, right? Yeah. Who knows? Could, could go either way. Yeah, I, I actually do think it could go either way. Yeah. Like I, I do too. <laughs> right now I think it leans better it, if he's successful, but I think there's definitely a situation where like if he's failed a number of times throughout Resistance or even, like, in a big way in Resistance, he is using the events of The Last Jedi to, in a way, like, redeem himself as a military leader. So I definitely think that that exactly. could happen, too. Exactly. I think that that's uh, an interesting point. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got a question from a listener, um, Carl Hassler from Unmistakably Star Wars. Hello, Carl. Um, This question is a little old because we're a little backlogged (laughs) in resistance. Um, So he wrote us a little email. We'll read a little piece of it for you guys here. Um, So he writes, I love listening to Sky Talkers. Thank you, Carl. Um, He said, you can tell by your chemistry that y'all are good friends and really enjoy each other's company. We do. We do. In fact, we do. Um, and then he writes on, I enjoy hearing your thoughts on resistance. The spaghetti analogy is good. Niku theory is bad, (laughs) but still fun. He says, still fun. I'm right there with you about the lack of a purpose for the Colossus. It has a Bespin vibe, which seems to indicate mining or drilling for something. It could be an unrefined fuel source, which could explain why it runs low on fuel without it being shipped in. I would like more explanation. Along those lines, I have a question about the aces. Are they defenders of the Colossus first and only race to hone their piloting skills? Or is their priority racing and only defending the Colossus because they are such good pilots? Look forward to the show and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Carl, for your kind words about the show and also for the good question. Um, I really like how you point out that the Colossus has a Bestman vibe because it does. And I don't think I'd really thought about that before. Yeah. It, no, it totally does. I think I've mentioned this on that on this episode, on mm. this show before. Um, but I think it the question about the Aces is interesting because I think the show has only just now started to define that the Aces are truly the only defenders of the classes. And it's something I see as like a really big conflict. Um as I mentioned like 20 minutes ago <laughs> um, <laughs> about um, the whole like resistance as a show. I think that it's extremely problematic that the aces are the only defenders of the Colossus mm-hmm. and maybe there's more, but I feel like I think that right now we're in like quote peacetime supposedly, but I, I still find it bad that that's their only, um, force which i guess so does doza doza also thinks that's not enough yeah so very um, stressed yeah super stressed yeah i you know i kept thinking about your question about if they were defenders first racers second or racers first defenders second and i honestly don't know how i feel because they or what i think because 
one, the show hasn't really talked about a lot, like you mentioned, Charlotte. And two, they clearly, like, they use the races to bring in money. So I wonder if it was a situation where these racers came in and then ended up, like, Joza ended up convincing them to stay on the Colossus and pay the money to protect it. Like, I definitely see that Mm -hmm. happening. Or if they were protecting it and then they realized they needed a way to, like, bring in more cash and racing is a thing. And so they kind of set up this this racing circuit. I'm kind of inclined to think that they were racers first that Doza then convinced to stay on the Colossus. And that's why they yeah, don't which seem to have so much shady. loyalty to him. Yeah, and that how they're, they're like all so different too because mm-hmm. – Actually, yeah, I think that's what I'm going to go with because Hype was a pilot – like was a racer before he got to the Colossus because he brings up different races that he – did right before being on the mm-hmm. Colossus, as does Jaeger. So I think that they were racers who came to the Colossus and then Doza convinced to stay for money and like look at this nice tower you get to stay in. The hallways are so clean. And then now they're there and they're like, well, now what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. if they were defenders first, they wouldn't really be as bothered that they're not getting to do races. But in this episode, the last episode, that's the problem is that they can't do races. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I there's a there's a dark past there. I so think shady. Wow, everything is shady. I think it's shady. Yeah, I think that there's a conflict there, just like we mentioned before, of like conflict between parties. Like there's there's something here, and I I wouldn't be surprised if we learned about the dark past of why the aces have to defend the Colossus. What if they have like zero loyalty to the Colossus? What if they're just there to make money, which just could be a totally legitimate concern Mm -hmm. um, for people who are racing. Yep, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. Um, And if the First Order pays them to like quote unquote deflect from the Colossus, yeah, defect. You mean defect? Yeah, 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 defect. (laughs) <laughs> I think this is a great question. Thank you so much, Carl. Um, I appreciate it. And if you guys ever have any questions or anything that you want to um, want us to cover on our Resistance Recaps, I know that the show's going on like on a slight winter hiatus, um, but after the next episode, which I think is kind of timely for the holidays, but um, you can email us at skytalkerspodcast at gmail.com and we'll answer it on the show. Yes, you can definitely do that. If you have other questions, feel free to email them as well. Um, our next episode for the main show is actually going to be all about Raylo and we're doing a Q&A section. So if you listen to this and have any questions about Raylo that you want to send our way, send them to skytalkerspodcast at gmail. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at skytalkerspod as well as our personal Twitters at Caitlin Plusher and at Clarity. And and if you enjoyed this episode and you wanted to head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review, we would really appreciate it. Yes, definitely. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I just want to thank our amazing patrons, Amy, Joanna, Larry, Gina, James, Tracy, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Angela, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Courtney, Brian, Megan, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Suara, BJ, I, Rebel, David, Claudia, Kate, Brooklyn, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Lumpa, Raru, 
Patrick, James Hamsa from a certain point of view, the Dorky Diva Show, Megan Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kels, Chastity, Aliyah, Travis, Katie, Daniela, Alyssa, Rebecca, Andy, Delaney, Angela, Ali, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Jordan, Molly, Chell, Aaron, Megan, Rebecca, Lauren, Tom, Edith, Adam, Derek, Connie, Robbie, Kirsty, Brandon, and Chuck. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. It means the world. Yes, thank you guys so much. And as always, until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.